Now I am. I thought I pushed the button. Well, thank God. We're just so excited to have all of you here with us. Uh, my name is Max. I'm the lead pastor here at Karis, and it's just wonderful to see all of you. If you have any questions uh, afterwards, Molly and I, my wife, uh, will just be right out in the, the lobby, and we'd love to meet any of you that uh, would like to meet us. And so we're just so thankful for what God's doing. If you have a Bible, uh, if you could open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If not, no worries. We're going to have the scriptures on the screen. And so... Uh, just one real quick announcement, if you like what we're doing and you'd like to be part of uh, it, a simple way you can do that is if you go on Facebook and check in at kingdomchurch.com uh, and check in on our Facebook page, that will feed, for every two check-ins we get, that will feed uh, some orphans in Haiti this month. We've partnered with an organization to do that. So uh, we just appreciate your faithfulness in being here. Um, let's, let's pray real quickly, and then we're going to get into the Word. Father... Uh, just thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Help me to preach with boldness and with clarity yep. and declare your gospel uh, so that the hearers will understand. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just so that uh, you have a little bit of knowledge about who we are, my wife and I are from southeast Kansas originally, uh, and then we were here from 08 to 11. And uh, we were, Molly was as a physical therapist. She was in school, and I was a high school English teacher. So go Shakespeare. I don't know if anybody's a, uh, a Shakespeare person, but at least there's, at least there's me. But anyway, and uh, in about 2011, we just felt God call us out to Colorado Springs to go to Bible college. We went to Karis Bible College out there. And then I was on staff for about three years at uh, Karis Christian Center, uh, an awesome church there in Colorado Springs. And uh, then recently, we just began to feel God calling us back here to plant this church. And so you've come at a good time. This is, this is launch day. And uh, so it's really, <laughs> as, you, as you might imagine, it takes a lot to get to this point. And so I just want to thank publicly, first of all, my wife. I love you, honey. You're amazing. And all of our uh, volunteers uh, that set up all this stuff. And it's just, it's just quite a lot of work. And so we just appreciate everybody that's helped us. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to talk to you this morning a little bit about uh, who we are and what, what we believe. And so we're at church. We believe that the Lord said, he told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we believe it's the will of God that earth would be more like heaven and that heaven would come to earth. And that, that means a whole bunch of different things that we'll talk about as time wears on, but everything falls under basically three headings that God wants to do on the earth, wisdom, power, and love. And those are the three sort of core values that we talk about all the time here. Um, but the main one that I want to deal with today, and Casey did such a good job, she just nailed the worship set, we just want to talk to you about the love of God for the next several weeks. And here's an interesting thing. In heaven, nobody has any question in their heart about whether or not God loves them. That makes sense. In heaven, nobody has any question. And so for earth to be more like heaven, one of the things I can do as a pastor is try to remove any question that you might have in your heart about how God feels about you. Amen. And so that's my goal over the next several weeks here, to just communicate with you very plainly, very clearly about the love of God. From the very beginning of uh, time, of, of creation, there's been this argument between God and the devil. And the devil has accused God. And when he came to Eve, he said, 
you know, well, God had made Adam and Eve, and he said, I'm going to make you in my image and my likeness. You'll be like me. And then the devil comes, and he says, well, if you eat of this fruit, then you'll be like God. Well, God said they were already like God. And he said, so the devil was saying, hey, God is withholding something from you. He's trying to keep you back from something good. You can't really trust him. He doesn't really have your best interest at heart. And he's still saying that today, and there's still a great debate. There's many things in our life that enter our life, tragedy, misfortune, negative things that happen, and the devil will come and say to you, see, because of this, that's proof that you can't really trust God and that he doesn't really love you. Say it, Pastor. And in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God sort of closed the argument. So there's this, there's this debate between God and, and the devil. Uh, but the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated, he commended, he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. I call this Jesus' closing argument. If you know anything about, if you've ever watched a law uh, program, right? The, the attorney gets one last argument to declare to the jury why he's right. And so Jesus' closing argument about how he feels about you is that he climbed up on a cross and died for you Amen. while you were still a sinner. When you were at your absolute worst, when you were a God-hater, when yeah. you had no desire for God at all, that's when he was at your absolute best for you, loving you and dying for you. Amen. And so... One of the major things that wars against this idea that God loves me is the fact that many people believe that God is angry with them. And so we sent out a whole bunch of these mailers, maybe some of you are here because of that, that said in big bold letters, God is not mad at you. And then it turned it over and it says, no matter what. And the reason, I want to talk to you a little bit about the reason that I can send that out. Because you might say, well, Pastor, you don't, you don't know me. How do, you, how do you know that God's not mad? God may not be mad at you, but how do you know he's not mad at me? And you're right, I don't know you. I don't know all the things that you've done or not done, but I know him. Amen. And I know what his word says. So if you have your Bibles, I want to read you one of my favorite verses of Scripture. When I understood this scripture, it really changed my life. I was in church for a long time before I ever really understood this scripture. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 says this, God was in Christ, this is right in the middle of a thought, but I'll make it make sense. God was in Christ as is unto them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now that's some King James language. Again, I told you I like Shakespeare. It's still, it's Elizabethan English. It's the same time period. So I'm a little bit old school. I apologize for that. But um, anyway, he says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What does this mean? It means there was a breakdown between God and man. It means there was this friction in the relationship. But God made a decision. And his decision was, I'm going to reconcile myself to the entire human race. And what does that look like? It looks like not imputing their sin against them. What's that mean? It means not holding their sin against them. It's an accounting term. My friend Tim back here is is an accountant. And so if you have uh, red in your ledger, if you have debt, in your ledger, how many of you know that's a bad, a bad thing? 
We, we live in America. Uh, I forget what the number is, but a lot of us, we have credit card debt and consumer debt and all kinds of debt and housing debt. And, and uh, if you look at that, boy, that can be discouraging. But here's the thing. How encouraging would it be if somebody came to you and said, hey, listen, we've decided we're not going to impute that debt to you anymore. We're not going to hold that debt against you anymore. I don't know about you, that'd make me excited. Amen, amen. That, would, that, that would be good news. That's right. That would be really, really good news. Yes. Well, listen, the word gospel, how many of you ever heard somebody say, I'm going to preach the gospel? Okay, well, the word gospel actually means something. It doesn't just mean something out of the Bible. It means good news. In fact, it means news that's so good, it makes you question whether or not it's true. That's what it means. And so what's God saying? He's saying, yeah, there was friction in our relationship. There was a breakdown because of sin. But here's the deal. I'm not holding that sin against you anymore. That's how I know he's not mad. Because he got over it on the cross. He made a decision about how he's going to feel towards you. Now notice what it says at the end. It says... And he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation is just, it's just the message, hey, God's reconciled himself to you, but verse 20 says, be ye reconciled to God. Yes. So God says, I'm reaching out to you. I love you. I forgive you. I'm not mad at you, but we still have to respond. We have to say yes. And it says in verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beg you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. So what God's saying is, listen, I've already made myself right with you. I'm not mad at you, but you have a decision. You can, you can turn and you can reconcile yourself to God. You can accept what Jesus did for you. Amen. You have to make that decision. Nobody else can make it for you. Now, sometimes people get confused because it looks like in the Old Testament... People will say, well, Max, I hear what you're saying, and I see that scripture there, but it sure seemed like in the Old Testament that people did have their sins held against them. And uh, that's a great point. So if you have your Bible, turn over to Romans chapter 5. You know, many people believe that, that God is sort of the great judge in the sky, and that he's, he's up there and he's watching everything, you know, and if if you know, you just hope that you do enough good and not enough bad because he might, he might reach with a lightning bolt and, and smite you or something. And uh, a lot of times we look around at the calamity in our lives and we think, wow, this must be the judgment of God. And uh, the scripture says that's, that's not true. Let's, let's look at uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 13. This is a really interesting verse. It says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed... There's that same word again. Sin is not imputed or held against you when there is no law. I don't know if this is still true, but for a while there used to not be a speed limit in Montana. Anybody been to Montana? Okay. Wow, quite a few of you. So you could drive 100 miles an hour in Montana, and would you get a ticket? No, why? Because there's no law against it. 
Now, I would say it's probably still a sin to drive 100 miles an hour because you could die, <laughs> okay? And you could, you could kill somebody else. But is the government going to hold it against you? No, because where there is no law, sin's not held against you. So here's the deal. There was this 2,000-year period when there was a law called the Law of Moses, and there was this covenant between God and man. There was this agreement that had been made. And the agreement was, if you do good, God will bless you. But if you do bad, negative things will happen. And this is in Deuteronomy 28. We won't turn there, but, but they had this whole covenant. It was this written contract called the law. But when Jesus came... He changed the contract. Look at look at Roman, excuse me, look at Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8. Verses 6 through 12. I might skip a little bit. It says, all right, it's talking about Jesus, and it says. Now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry. Now what he's saying is, is that Jesus is better than Moses. He, he, what Jesus did is better than this, this Old Testament law that existed, this old contract between God and man. It says, for if the first contract, the first covenant, had been faultless, then should no place have been found for the second. Okay, so what, what's this saying? It's saying there was a problem with the first covenant, with the law. Otherwise, they wouldn't have come up with another one. Okay? For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant. I'm going to make a new contract. Now, God doesn't change. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But sometimes he changes the contract between God and man. And so the way God relates to people changes based on the contract. And so it says, finding fault with them, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant when I made with their fathers when I took them out of the hand, or by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So it's not going to be like what, what existed between Moses and uh, when Moses was on the earth. Skip on down to verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make in those days with the house of Israel, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. It's like Will was talking about. It's no longer a servant-master relationship. It's a father-son relationship. Verse 12, And I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. So what's this new covenant, what's this new contract look like? In the old contract, sin was imputed. It was held against you when there was a law. In the new contract, God says, I'm going to forgive your iniquities. I'm going to forgive yeah. Yeah. your sins, yeah. and I'm not going to hold those against you. Amen. Now, one other verse that verifies this is back in Isaiah 54. When I finally saw it, I was really encouraged. <laughs> Isaiah 54. So he's talking about, if I had more time, I'd, I'd spell this out plainer for you, but he's talking about the new covenant. And he says, this new covenant, in verse 9, it's like the waters of Noah. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be wroth with you or rebuke you. 
How many of you heard the story of Noah? So what happens, right? God says there's going to be a flood. Noah builds an ark, takes him a long time, gets on the ark, flood covers the earth. Once the waters recede, Noah gets out, and God puts a rainbow in the sky and says, hey, listen, whenever you see that rainbow, you're going to be reminded, what? That I'm not going to flood the whole earth again. It rains a lot more here than in Colorado. But I don't, whenever it's raining, I never look outside and think, oh my gosh, I hope the whole earth doesn't flood. Does anybody worry about that? You shouldn't worry about that, okay? It's not, the whole earth's not going to flood. Why? Because God promised. Now look, what's he saying? He's saying, this is just like that. This is just like the promise I made. I just made this promise to know it's just like that. What's the promise? So I have sworn that I would not be wroth with you. That means, it's old English for angry. I've made a covenant. I'm not going to be mad. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, says the Lord, which has mercy on you. How do I know that God's not mad at you? Because he promised. It's that simple. Now, he made this contract. We still have an opportunity about whether or not we're going to enter the contract. God doesn't force you to do things, and so you have to make a decision. But before we talk about that, you know, that was a bunch of theology, and, and I like all that stuff, but sometimes I think people disengage a little bit. So I wanted to read a story in Luke 15. This is a story probably many of you are familiar with. It's called the parable of the prodigal son, which really isn't the best name for it. It ought to be called the parable of the loving father, because that's really what it's about. And so everything I just talked to you about theologically is illustrated in this story. So let's read it, and I just want to talk to you about it for a little bit. So Jesus tells this story. It says, a certain man had two sons, verse 11. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. That's just saying he, he wasted all his money. He partied it up. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. He didn't have food, and, and he was hungry. And when he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. That's a tough job. And it says, any fain, he would have loved to have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave to him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have enough bread to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring the best robe and put it on him, and the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, 
and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Amazing story. So Jesus says, this is what the kingdom's like. This is what my heavenly father's like. He's like a good father who had a son. The son came to him and said, hey, dad, I can't wait for you to die. Please give me my inheritance now. How many of you know that would be a painful thing to hear? And then he went and he, he took all that inheritance and he, and he wasted it. And so he's living among the pigs, wanting to eat what they're eating. And going through his head is this lie. I bet my father's mad at me. I bet, I bet my dad is mad at me. But he finally gets up the courage. It says he comes to himself, and he, he doesn't have the courage to go home as a son. He tries to go home as a servant. And here's the thing about this story I didn't know, is that it used to be the custom in that day that if there was something like this that happened, the townspeople, if they saw the son coming home, they could actually, if they, if they got to him before the father, they could actually say, we reject you, and you can never come into this town again. And so I don't think it was any coincidence that the father is the first person to see him. I think every night after the work was done, the father would go out to the edge of town and watch because he was thinking, Maybe today's the day when my son comes home. Maybe today's the day. And the son, <laughs> I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but we, we come up with these ways to approach God. We think we've got a really good plan. We're going we're gonna to really humble ourselves. We're going to fast. We're going we're gonna to tell God, you know, I'm gonna, I'll be good. I, I won't do this for, for three weeks. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to give you this amount of money. Or I'm gonna pr- I'll read my Bible every day, God. Uh-huh. What's that? That's what this son was thinking. He's going to say, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, Dad, I'll, I'll work in the field. I'll do whatever you want. I, don't, I just want to eat something. I'm just hungry. And so he gets to his father. And the father who's been waiting for his son to come back sees him, runs to him. <laughs> and the... Uh, Son starts his speech. If you'll notice, he doesn't get to finish it. He starts it, and he starts saying, Dad, I'm, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me as one of your servants, blah, blah, blah. And the, the father can't even hear him. Totally ignores the speech. And he just says, get the best robe. Get the ring. Kill the fatted calf. Why? Because I'm not mad because it's my son. Amen. He's come home. Yes. He's come home. Amen. So here's the deal, guys. God has destroyed every barrier between you and him. Amen. Except for one. And that's your decisions, what you want to do. 
He's just saying, come home. He's just saying, I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I've forgiven you. I've already reconciled myself to you. Just come home. Just come home. Let's all stand up. The father is just like this guy in this story. He's thinking, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day when my son, my daughter, will come home. Maybe today's the day. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe today's your day. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you know that you're right with God. But if you're not sure, if you don't know that you're in right relationship with your Father, and you'd like to, you can walk out of here knowing that you're in a covenant with God, that there's a written contract, written contract that says, I will never reject you. I'll never be angry with you. I'll always show mercy. If there's anybody like that today and you want to receive that, if you'll just raise your hand real quickly, I just want to know who that is. I want to know who I'm praying for. Nobody's looking. If you aren't sure. Okay, thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Maybe today's your day. Maybe today's your day. I won't hang out for too long. I just want to give you the opportunity. It just says, come home. Anybody else? You want to come home? Come home to Dad. Thank you, Jesus. All right, those of you that raised your hands and everybody else, I just want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Bible says it's as easy as ABC. Admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and confess Him as Lord. So we're going to say this together. We're all going to say it. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that He rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus, right now, I confess you as Lord of my life. I commit myself to you and I'll serve you as you give me the strength. And I want you guys to look at me. Those of you that just prayed that prayer, the Bible says you just got born again. Okay, and so that means, listen, that, that means a whole lot of stuff that we, we want to help you with, okay? And so there's, um, uh, if you look at, back at the back here, there's Josh and Nicole, wave to Josh and Nicole. Okay, after service, if you'll grab those guys, they're going to have you fill out a connection card really quickly, and what we're going to do is we're going to mail you a free book to help you. Okay? And now listen, the Bible talks about when you get born again that it's just like, it's just like being a, a, a baby. And you need to be, a, uh, if you know anything about babies, they need to be taken care of. You're meant to be part of a family. Okay, and we'd love to be that family. 
And, and if, if not, we'll help you find a family. But we'd love to be that. So uh, if that's you, just, just go connect with them. They've got, hold those connection cards up, Josh. They've got those. We're going to send you a free book, and we'll, we'll be in touch with you that way. So thank you so much. Um, <laughs> really special. It's really, you know. Well, I'm, I'm praying. <laughs> I just, I, I'm just really thankful all of you that came to be part of, of today. I know a lot of you are going back home and stuff. Be safe. Uh, those of you that are guests, we, we'd love to have you be part of what we're doing. We're just getting started. There's a lot of great things coming. Uh, we're going to start small groups, I think, in October. But we'll be here every Sunday at 10 o'clock. And uh, again, if you have any questions, Molly and I will be out in there. Or if you'd just like to shake our hands and meet us, we'll be out in the atrium out there. And we're going to sing one last song. What? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you. I got real excited. Um, can my prayer ministers come down front here real quickly? My prayer team. Listen, if you need personal uh, and join hands with you and agree with you, we'd love to do that. I've got a great team of people that love to pray and agree with you. Um, if, if you didn't raise your hand, but you should have, come down and, and pray with one of these people. If... Uh, you need healing or a miracle in your body, come down here. These guys would love to pray with you. If uh, you need a job, you need God to help you somehow, uh, we'd love to pray with you. Again, I'm going to pray for everybody, then we're going to sing this last song. But come up anytime during this song and you can receive prayer. Father, I just thank you for what you did this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for bringing these people here. Lord, thank you for saving them. Lord, we just believe you for great things to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Love came down and rescued me.